0: Hello, I'm Tim McLaughlin, and this is a Mewa Podcast. In this episode, we join Master Shibori artist Jane Callender as she describes her development and artistic influences, from her family's Egyptian and Malaysian garments to the exhibitions that led her to Shibori. Now steeped in her own successful artistic practice, she reflects on the roads that have brought her to the present day. This lecture was recorded live at the Mewa Textile Symposium on October 14, 2007. Welcome to The Intimate Stitch, Blue Leaf Shibori.
1: The first few slides are a bit self-indulgent, really. They introduce Malaya to you and a little bit of my memories of uh, Malaya, and also my family and their background, my parents' background. So these are the sights and sounds that I grew up with in Malaya, and I was in Malaya till I was about 10 years old. It's just wonderful to see these images every now and then. This is a a view of the, uh, I think, from Cameron Highlands, of of the treetops of the jungles, and this is my screensaver at home. (laughs) <laughs> it's a really peaceful image. I remember as a child going to the Shadow Puppet plays. Absolutely fascinating. And, of course, near where we were and um, in Kalantan, we had the famous Kalantan silver. And, of course, amazing um, uh, wildlife and um, birds and animal- animals. And these little uh, sketches are from a, um, a little jungle book-type uh, storybook. Um, and it was Sailin' the Mouse Deer, that's it, just come to me, Sailin' the Mouse Deer, which is rather like a a sort of (laughs) rikki-tikki-tavi. But the area that I um, remember the most was in um, upriver from Kuala Krai, absolutely beautiful, and it was upriver and miles away from anywhere. And the journey to school was... um, I think the journey must have taken in, in the boat about three-quarters of an hour to an hour. There were no roads linking up the estate to Kuala Krai. And then a car journey from Kuala Krai up to Kota Baru. And then the plane over to, um, to get the ferry across to Penang. Now, here's the bungalow at Kuala Pahi. We used to have monitor lizards on the banks and in the garden and amazing. Now, my mother was born in Srinagar in Kashmir. And then my father's background is my great-grandparents here. Now, my father was born in Alexandria in Egypt. And this is my father. He was in the Palestinian police for a while. He looks a very shady character, actually. <laughs> and uh, um, here are the um, garments from his uh, Egyptian costume that I still have at home. And fabulous silks and very, very finely woven so I still have those, and they're still lovely to look at every so often. And now my early memories of cloth. I remember going with my mother to the um, the uh, shops, fabric shops in Kotobaru, and um, re, uh, yards of fabric would just be rolled out on a table in front of us, all the different colours, all the all the silks, um, wonderful things. Um, my brother hates this slide. <laughs> he says, I'm not going to put that in, are you? I said, too right. Um, because I remember this fabric. I remember netting. It used to itch. And in the heat, um, I remember it. And, and that was just, It really is a very vivid memory of of being in contact with cloth. And, of course, um, this is another little sketch from the wonderful Sailor and the Mouse Dear book. Um... Insects would get caught in this wretched tutu. (laughs) And, of course, there was constant insect um, lookout duty. So there we are. (laughs) And, of course, from scratchy net to the wonderful um, satins and and silks. And a ghastly picture, but, you know, there we go. Move on. Um, And here we have the wonderful soft cottons um, of the... uh, um, Saris, and here is a little indigo plant that I used to take down, take around when I went to um, give lectures and things. So um, I think it got fed up of, of travelling in the back of a Ford Fiesta, and it finally died on me. But this is the little Polygonum plant, and it's amazing um, that we get this extraordinary indigo liquid or indigo vat from this plant. And the Japanese have a saying, um, and that is the blessings of indigo. And for those who don't know uh, about indigo, it is astonishing that the vat of the dye is this wonderful, clear um, liquid, which gives us this amazing blue. And so with the first introduction of indigo, I um, started doing tests and samples, And here we have some um, tests with indigo and using um, permanganate and citric acid. And I gather permanganate is very difficult to to, um, get here. Um, But it has a wonderful uh, um, relationship with indigo in that it, it takes the indigo color out. And then if you use your citric acid on top of your permanganate, the citric acid takes the permanganate out. And um, you can get some really um, wonderful, subtle effects in that combination. And so tests with with um, using indigo dye, and of course first steps into using Shibori um, techniques. So here we are on a little bit of um, wax resist as well here creeping in, and then getting more and more adventurous. And here using indigo with an and experimenting with. Stitching, and um, how to develop new patterns through through the stitch. And it's always worth um, remembering when you're indigo dyeing. If you want to use get a really pale colour, it's it's worth making a much weaker vat, but still giving it plenty of dips. This will help its fastness and will also give a much even um, ground colour, rather than just dipping, say, once in a strong stronger vat. And then I um, was working with jewellery, jewellery making at the time also. And so just focusing right in on the detail of the shibori. Um, Sometimes when we have lots of fabric, we forget to appreciate the quality of the mark that's made. Um, And it's quite nice to be a sort of camera lens sometimes and really zoom in and out of of things so that uh, you observe it afresh really. I then went to see, in 1989, the most amazing exhibition at the Royal College of Art and Design. And it was absolutely staggering. Detail, the idea, uh, the execution, craftsmanship was absolutely inspiring. I think I went to it about, I went twice. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. These kimonos were about ten foot tall. Each one linked up to the other one or could stand on its own as an independent piece of work. And they depicted a Japanese landscape. As you walked around this room, not only did you see a Japanese landscape, but you saw the seasons change. So as you walked through, you walked from winter, spring, um, summer, and autumn. And I couldn't believe the amount of work I'd seen, and that so inspired me. As did the um, Adiri fabrics, Adiri indigo cloths. And here you see a... um, a busy at work, and these um, indigo pits are about three meters deep, and um, an amazing amount was done. Also, with these, we have the not only stitched um, bound resist but also stitched machine stitched resists. And what I loved about these pieces was that you had your machine resist in the background, creating these <laughs> quite dynamic stripes, and then as though ignoring the fact that they were there, one would have an embroidery worked over the top. And here we have the sort of um, tie-dye images in the background and then a completely free um, embroidery on the top of those. So adding to the richness. And then I went to an indigo Yoruba exhibition and was introduced to indigo again. And from that exhibition, and from the fact that I wanted to start creating again, things started to emerge from this um, new interest again. And because I couldn't actually go out and buy fabrics to use, I started to tear up the fabrics that I had created while I was at college. And so a new sort of venture started, and I started to use my indigo fabrics that I'd done um, in a three-dimensional way. With stitching as well, and this led to a small exhibition and um, an article in the World of Embroidery magazine, and then one of the threaded vessels was chosen for the um, front of the um, the World of uh, of Embroidery uh, millennium calendar. So I was highly delighted with that, and then another exhibition um, of the wonderful uh, Miao textiles, also very inspiring, and particularly. The piece um, here, where color where color has been introduced, not through another dyeing process, but through appliqué. Okay, so color is added through the addition of another fabric, and the wonderful uh, piece at the top with this wonderful gold sheen to the fabrics, and of course the beautiful pleated skirts. So now we're going to have a little look at the stitching technique, and how this amazing um, liquid, this indigo vat that we use, gets transferred to the fabric, and as you can see, it beginning to oxidise because it's uh, oxygen is the key word really to understanding indigo dyeing, and how it changes from this golden state to this bluey green state. And then finally, we arrive with the fabric with the pattern or the texture that we've thought about and we've created by hand stitching. And this is a um, mukumi shibori pattern. I was so inspired, again, that um, I was living with my mum at that time. Um, I packed her off to an aunt and took over the house. Um, we, were in a, we were in a sort of a maisonette, so there wasn't a lot of room to make a, a lot of mess. So the bathroom became my indigo dyeing area and I had a small dustbin at one end of the bath and I always remember Darren O'Connor's lecture when she said uh, she was showing some pictures, some slides of the meow peoples and there was a, a meow lady cooking and right next to her was a um, indigo vat and Darren said um, indigo is very much part of their lives and I was sort of standing there having a shower with this vat <laughs> next to me saying yes indigo is very much part of their lives so it became very much part of my life then So stitch resist, okay, so the fabric um, is stitched by hand, and uh, you can do a machine stitch that gives a completely different uh, resisted mark. And indigo will dye uh, natural fibres, okay, so silks, cottons, viscose, and rayon. And of course, um, at this stage, you get some wonderful forms and shapes, and this has... Obviously, inspired this the stage of shibori has has inspired all the three dimensional shibori that we see now. So, at every point in this technique, there is a starting point. Um, Even right at the very end of a of, of a project or a process, there is a starting point to be further explored. And then, once the fabric has been dyed, the threads are cut and removed. And people underestimate the time it takes to undo the the, 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 the stitching. It's that point when you've uh, done your, all your dyeing and you want to see if your resist worked. And you can't wait to get those stitches out, but you just have to be patient. It takes forever. <laughs> and here we have karamatsu, which you, I showed you um, just earlier on those pieces. And that too is a very inspirational um, stage when you're when you come to undo the undo the forms in that. Actually looking at this image, the Rocky Mountains spring to mind <laughs> going over in the plain. They were absolutely spectacular. Now here is a large piece. This is um 150 centimeters square. And here we have um specific stitch giving a this pattern here. And this is Indigo used with iron rust, and you can see in the in the lower image the sort of oranging of the of the patterning, and that would be your iron rust. This is called Indigo Squared, and it has been um, it was exhibited in the Art of the Stitch um, in the UK at the Barbican, and again this is dealing with folding techniques as well. So, the central, the central piece of this, the, the big square, has been all the stitching has been worked on a double thickness fabric and worked with folds going horizontally and vertically. And it's also got the little um, thread resisted rings in it as well. But the outside sort of four quarters, that's been worked on a single thickness fabric. Okay, so different sorts of resist depending on, on how you folded your cloth. Now, this is the piece that's at um, uh, Brighton at the moment in the Indigo a Blue to Die For exhibition. Again, folds radiating out from the centre, but also in between each sort of section. And here's a close-up of, of one of those sort of uh, leafy bits. And, of course, the little thread-resisted rings, which I, which I love. Now, here we have a... Um, Chain, uh, sort of chain pattern, which was based on Hinode Shibori. But traditionally, Hinode Shibori is then bound to a, a rope as a central core, and um, the background is resisted out, as it were. But this pattern I developed um, just as a stitch pattern and not binding it, and then using a batik border. So um, we have a, a different. A different quality of resist, a different texture of resist, bringing the two together. The two um, sort of resist techniques uh, traditionally used with indigo of stitch and wax. And again on to a machined resist um, where the fabric is folded and you get a, a patterning, an indigo marking the areas um, which are exposed and then as the indigo seeps in between the layers, the, the sort of gridding, if you like, becomes paler. And in the top section, I've added um, an applique dark indigo square. And in the bottom section, I've actually cut the indigo, the indigo fabric out to, re- to reveal something that's happening underneath. And in this case, a sort of gold uh, shiny fabric. Um, so working with the fabric, developing it after you've done your shibori work, working with it and... Um, Developing patterns that way, rather than going through another dye process. This uh, again is a machined resist. Here we've got um, indigo with iron rust, and a great deal of iron rust in in this uh, in this piece. But you can see in the lower image the um, sort of streaking, and the sort of indigo still quite clear. And again, working on um, different qualities and weights of fabric. And here in the top one, we've got a silk noil. Um, and in the lower one, the, a sort of silk um, with a jacquard pattern in the, in the weave. And so that adds to the richness of the, of the patterning. And um, this is something that I also was inspired by to when I developed the lace inserts, as actually doing something with the fabric before you actually start to shibori. And here's the lace insert and you can see from this slide the different directions of the folding. So rather than just putting a fold that could could have run straight down, you're adding the sort of um, different dynamic. So you're getting this square happening. So another uh, applique um, project, really, taking your indigo and then appliqueing... Uh, sympathetic uh, colors with that here we 've got iron rust, but also polyester organza um, just this piece is on the top table here that 's your polyester bits outside the um, the applique uh, I think cotton and silk here, and also creating um, metal leaves and hand stitching those in place, and free embroidery and then this next image is absolutely the same scale, the same size, and the same stencil used for the top one, except worked on a synthetic fabric and um, a steam set. And so you get the same, you have your shibori stitching, but they have two very different outcomes. So what you learn with your indigo, um, you can also apply to synthetics. And again, using very, very simple Shibori patterning. I mean, this is what we come to, we've come to know as tie dye, really. Um, the simple binding round, binding round a pebble or whatever. But in this case, it's been combined with an applique um, areas, and this is a combination of cotton and silk. So, from very, very simple resist techniques, the added interest through more complex. Um, textile techniques of of appliques. I then, in 2003, um, started Kali Shibori. Kali is actually my sort of nickname from my surname, Calendar, and Shibori, obviously, the technique. And I started to do some indigo dye packs. I I was offered a free stand at a big show um, in London. And then um, I thought, oh, I'll do some cushions. I'll do something, you know, to sell. And um, I thought, I'll never get these done in time. So, um, and people, people had been saying at uh, workshops, oh, it's, you know, I'm going, I've got to go here to get the fabric, I've got to go there to get the dye and there to get the thread and buy a book for the instructions. And so uh, put all that together and I came up with my Indigo starter packs. And these were packs which contained the fabric already marked up with the design, and the indigo, and a reducing agent as well, which the indigo requires. It was enough to get someone started in indigo dyeing and shibori, and a taste for um, the technique, and the whole, the whole thing for pattern making. And without having that effort of, of chasing up all the different things that were needed, or having to buy far too much indigo, to start with. So just enough indigo for a gallon. So these were the first three packs that I developed. And since then, I've gone on to develop stencils, separate stitch packs and project packs such as the little um, Makumi bag. So that's Kali Shibori. And I go around uh, to do the different shows. And I have all these suitcases and boxes and goodness knows what and it's an absolute nightmare sometimes, but I do thoroughly enjoy it. I load up the car and and off I go, and it's great. And um, while I'm at the shows, I have a a small indigo vat actually at my stand, and I demonstrate indigo dyeing. I'm very keen um, that people should know about this wonderful method of patterning cloth and this amazing colour that you get, and that it's not just something that happens in five minutes that it's it's a gentle occupation it's something that takes a lot of time and that if you work at things and you develop your patterns you need to you need to allow time and so many people once they see this they think oh my goodness you know, they, haven't, they just haven't realised. But it's always wonderful to get back home to the garden and I do a lot of teaching there as well and I have students come along. We've had some uh, lovely workshops this summer and um, I use the greenhouse as my sort of indigo dyeing area and people can enjoy and sit, sit out and work quietly um, and just sort of be still and, and um, do their stitching and, and focus and here's just a, an image of the wonderful indigo blue and you know I always thought I must have a studio I must have a proper wet room and I must have this and I must have that but when you come down to it we, we get on with it and we make do with what we have and uh, really um, the best studio I find for doing the indigo dyeing is, is being outside in the garden and uh, so relaxing and it's just given me a wonderful life Thank you very much <laughs>
0: You've been listening to Jane Callender's lecture, The Intimate Stitch, Blue Leaf Shibori, recorded live at the Maywah Textile Symposium on October 14, 2007. This episode was first posted in March of 2008. For more information on Maywah Podcasts or the Maywah Textile Symposium, visit our website at www.mewa.com. I'm Tim McLaughlin. Thank you for listening.